Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. Kate Chenery Tweedy, welcome to the Center of the Universe. Well, thank you so much. Glad to be here. Uh, we are trying to accomplish at least a couple of things uh, in this discussion. One is we want to learn more about Secretariat for Virginia. Uh, two, uh, we want to learn more about you. I, w- I want to learn the whole story. I think Downtown National Association also wants to know the whole story, but they also are, are uh, equally interested, I believe, in Secretariat for Virginia as an organization and what they're they're all about and trying to accomplish. I should also mention that uh, Silent Rob is here, and you and Silent Rob are related to each other. We certainly are. His mother is a Chenery, and my mother is a Chenery, and I think our great-grandparents were brothers. Brothers, right. Yeah. Yep. yep. Okay. All right, so then that makes you second cousins with his mom. Mm, yeah, something like that. Third cousins? I think we figured out, yeah, our moms were second cousins. Yes. And we're third cousins. Yeah, Got it. exactly. Makes sense. And it, it's funny, he's silent Rob, but tonight he's not going to be silent. <laughs> no, because my cousin's here. Yeah, right. i got to turn you up. All right, bring it. There it is. All right, perfect. All right, so tell us about Secretary for Virginia, how it formed, what the idea is, what you guys are trying to accomplish. Well, okay, Secretariat for Virginia uh, is uh, a kind of an ad hoc group of people who love Secretariat, and we rallied around the notion that uh, he was born in Virginia, but there's really no monument to him or sort of place where fans can go to really celebrate him. I mean, there's his birthplace, but it's... Um, not open to the public all the time. Mm. And Jocelyn Russell, who did this magnificent statue of Secretariat uh, uh, that is in Lexington, Virginia, and we went and we saw it unveiled and it was beautiful. Well, she came to us and said, hey, guess what? I've got another edition of that statue, which I can change slightly, but I'm, I've been given authority to produce it and sell it, and would you like it? Mm. And she came to us and said, I really, and and we had helped her with the original one. She'd brought the original uh, uh, maquette, the small clay version out, and we'd critiqued it and helped her with it, and she was doing all this great research, went up to see the jockey and um, talked to the vet and all that. So we were part of her research, and we saw how gorgeous it was. So when she came to us and said, hey, I've got another one. Do you want it in Virginia? We just about flipped. So at that point, and when I say we, I'm talking about myself, my co-author, Leanne Layden. Together we wrote the book, Secretariat's Meadow, The Land, The Family, The Legend, which is really about, you know, how this incredible horse came into our family and, you know, how he was raised in central Virginia, not the bluegrass of Kentucky. Um, So Leanne and I had worked forever on celebrating Secretariat and, you know, birthday parties and all kinds of... uh, fun things to help kind of bring fans um, to celebrate with their fans and keep the legacy alive. So, and then Wayne Dementi of Dementi Studios in Richmond was our publisher. He's done mm. a lot of local history. So the three of us uh, had been on what we call a, a journey of joyful destiny. That's kind of our nickname um, for thir- for 15 years and ever since the book came out. And um, then when Jocelyn came and said, hey, I've got this statue. It's only going to be five hundred and fifty thousand. <laughs> we kind of went, oh my gosh! Oh, just um, just a tad over half just, a million. Just just you know five hundred fifty thousand. And Wayne had done fundraising. I never had. Leanne never had. And so we we 
But we thought, eh, let's give it a try. So then we got a number of other people who were also interested to join forces and help us. And uh, we've been on this journey ever since. And um, it's just been so much fun and so gratifying to see the reception in the community. So anyway, SECVA, Secretary for Virginia, is here to bring the Statue of Secretariat to Ashland. That's our goal. That's our, what we've been doing. And we're, we're just having a blast doing it. And you're either r- really close to the goal or you've recently maybe exceeded it? We have, uh, we have raised enough to buy it. Okay. So buying it is not the same as installing it. Mm. So, and the, and, but we have had, uh, like, for example, the Reynolds people of Reynolds Aluminum gave us $200,000. Well, their vision is to have a whole plaza. So that ups the, significantly the cost. So we, we don't yet know what it we're going to buy the statue and hand it over to the town. That much is now clear. Thank heavens. Um, but it'll be a while before we have enough for all the expenses that are associated with, you know, paving the plaza and creating the base of it and designing it and lighting and, uh, you know, signage, everything that goes into it. And then we want to have an educational component. We want to have some context, some history, you know, all kinds of stuff. So, um, so we think we definitely are enough. We have enough to buy it. We don't get. We're still fundraising to complete the project. I think I imagine what you found is there are people that are immensely proud of the fact that Secretariat's from this part of the world. Absolutely, and all the time I I run across people who say, "Oh, when my my uh, Girl Scout troop went and you you know we used to visit the meadow," or somebody who says, "Well, my uncle delivered hay there," or somebody who says, "Yeah, I used to ride with Mr. Chenner." You know, I mean, the the roots are so deep, and uh, people do have a lot of affection, and they. They knew about the meadow and they would drive by it on Route 30 and, and enjoy the green fields and knowing these great horses are there. I think uh, I've, I've learned that and it's it's so gratifying to see how much affection there is. Uh, Rob and I, yeah. uh, I can't tell you the number of times I've said, yeah, I'm from where Secretariat's from. Mm-hmm. I, really? I probably said it a couple thousand times in my life. Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah. And what kind of reaction do you get? Do people say, what? If, if they're of a certain age, yeah. they're like, oh, really? I, didn't, yeah. I thought... Secretary yeah, was Kentucky. from Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. Uh, people younger, they're like, "Who's secretary?" It's like, yeah, what are you talking about? Yeah, horses? Huh? Yeah. What do they, What do you do with horses? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, so uh, I'm fascinated. So, at town of Ashland, do we have a location? Because I think there was a preliminary. We okay. We have a We have a location. Um, so the green little kind of green pocket park that is. Uh, there's a big Randolph-Macon sign. It's the entrance to Randolph-Macon on the west side. So it is at the corner of England Street and the railroad tracks. It's right opposite Suzanne's, right op- right at, you know, Caddy Corner from the depot. Right. And if from the, on the other side of the street, Caddy Corner from Iron Horse. Right. So it's, it's a highly visible, it's kind of perfect. The statue is big, but that's a nice, you know, rectangular site and it'll be um, facing uh, facing downtown so that head toward the south and um, we're gonna you know it's gonna be paved it's gonna be landscaped there'll be benches there'll be you know donor signs plaques and it's it's a cool design it's gonna be great Um, but yeah we settled on that it belongs to Randolph Macon but they are leasing it to the town for you know some nominal fee Um, and then the town will own the statue maintain it you know so it's a joint project, really. Will the Randolph-Macon sign stay? 
Randolph Meckenstein will stay, but it'll be moved. They're going to redo that back wall. Uh, gotcha. So we don't quite know how that'll look yet, and that's part of why we don't know how much we need. <laughs> well, <laughs> ultimately, so, so England Street, or what other people would uh, refer to as fifty four, fifty four, exactly, uh, and the railroad tracks. That's the intersection. It is in the, the intersection. in the town of Ashland, but not it just is. the town of Ashland. In the center of the universe. In this, yes. So that statue will be at the main intersection in the center of the universe. It's going to be in the center of the center of the universe. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I mean, if, you, if you're wondering if there's an actual center to the center of the universe, there that, is. That's, that's it. Probably. And people can say, I'll meet you by the Secretariat statue. Absolutely. You know? And what we love is, you know, it's it's big, right? Life-size and a half. So, and it, it, the pedestal won't be very high, the base. But it'll be high enough so that folks on Amtrak are going to ride by and they'll be almost eye level with him. And that's just going to be fun. That's really cool. You know, I, yeah. I think the funnest thing about that, you said he's going to face south. So yeah. if you're actually going through, yeah. then you're actually like you're going to be racing secretary. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. It's, it's so awesome. fun. Yeah. And yeah. secretary would win, I think. I think oh, he would. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These are not fast trains. <laughs> no, no, they're not. Well, they better not be through town. Yeah, that's right. exactly. Yeah, so yeah. life size. He went about 40 miles an hour, which, which is, is for which a horse crazy. incredibly fast. Yeah. Uh, and he, he was so smooth. But we'll, yeah. we'll talk more about the secretary sure. in a second. Sure. Uh, Jocelyn introduced us to this notion of t- life and a half. Yes. Secretary was a giant horse. He was. He Unbelievably was. big. Yeah. So, re- relative to like a typical uh, racehorse back. In, yeah. Let's just say the early to mid 70s. Yeah. Was he like 1.2 times the size of a typical? Well, what's interesting is he wasn't. T- there certainly are horses as tall and a few uh, taller. But what he had was this massive hindquarters and a deep chest. And he just in this, his girth w- had to be special ordered because, and he wasn't fat. This was not, you know, excess. Yeah. Uh, this was just a really solid, powerful body. And he was so heavily muscled and beautifully muscled that he he just looked he looked bigger than he probably was mm. he just had that presence you know and mom mom would say that he'd come out on the on the paddock where they the the walking ring where they sort of warm up before they get saddled before a race and he would come out on the on the walking ring and sort of puff up and you know to intimidate the other horses frankly <laughs> and to kind of say I'm the man I am here you know and and I think the other horses would go Oh yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so, where did you? I, I'm going to get into you sure. growing up, but link it to Secretariat. Uh, and you were how old when he was born? Twenty. You were twenty when he well, when he ran. When he ran, and yeah. he was a two or three year old when he ran. He was a three year old. Well, he started at two, but the big races, the ones he's famous for, are three year old races. All right. So your mom was the first lady of of horse racing. Yes, she was. Uh, and it's, it's because she was the first owner of a prominent racehorse that happened to be female well there were other owners um you know there were some very prominent owners but they weren't uh, hands-on managers Ah. they were sort of like oh yes i own this horse but she was there every day at the track she would be up there at 5 a.m for you know dawn workouts she was integral to every part of it and loved horses knew horses well uh and um it was just uh, they were they were a real team the jockey the trainer and mom and of course secretariat and so she was also such a voice for the horse and such a unlike most owners here's the other deal she welcomed the fans Mm -hmm. in and she really she embraced them she wanted to share with them the excitement and and what a wonderful 
uh, horse he was. And most owners didn't do that. They didn't unbend. They didn't act like the fans are part of the story. She always felt that, hey, if you love horses, we're the same because I love horses too. And so she related to people on that level. And that, and then the other reason she was known as that is afterwards, um, she became a leader in all in thoroughbred owners and breeders. She was a tireless advocate for horse racing, and also for retired racehorses. And for you know, she was very much against drugs. She was a real leader in the industry. So mm. it wasn't just that she owned this great horse, but it was everything she did with that. Yeah, uh, the fact that she. Uh, was thoughtful enough to include the fans and, yes. s- and smart enough to include yeah. the fans because I think that yeah. helps. I mean, really the secretary helps. was still going to win those races the way he did, yeah. but it, it, just the positive vibe, it sounds like your mom created, yeah. Yeah. Uh, sounds yeah. amazing. Yeah. Well, and she, she really did, um, you know, she wanted to share the story. It was such a great story. She wanted to, people to, you know, to enjoy it. And they did. And they felt welcomed, I think. That's really cool. Let's go yeah. back to Secretariat for Virginia. Uh, let's the the statue is in place. You've accomplished the the primary objective for creating Secretariat for Virginia in the first place. What happens after? Well, we really need to envision that because we didn't know we would raise enough money for there to be an after. Mm. But it it from all uh, you know, we're we have been people are still coming forward, and we're we're still actively soliciting people who we know want to participate, who are community members. Um, but so we, we feel like there will be enough to make a really beautiful plaza and then to do something a little more, more educational, more, um, you know, give it greater context. So it's not just a statue sitting in a corner. It's, you know, there'll be, you know, nice bronze plaques explaining the history. There'll be other cool things that, you know, make it sort of interactive in a way. Um, so all of that, I think, will take a life beyond the actual fundraising stage and so we are we're just a loose group of of uh you know folks who love the horse we will probably morph into something maybe more structured after that because right now we're just a subcommittee of the ashley museum Ah. ashley museum on of which i'm on the board um is our 501c3 fiscal sponsor so all donations are tax deductible because they go through the museum but so if we went away the museum would still be it's still a project of them. So it, 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 uh, we don't have a legal structure of our own, mm-hmm. but, but as long as there's interest in people who want to participate and have ideas and we have some you know, money to do something interesting with the whole legacy, uh, I think we'll keep doing that. Uh, has it crossed your mind that uh, that statue is going to be a destination? Oh, 100%. So where are people park? I mean, that's, that's a real... Not, you don't have to give an answer yeah, to that. Sure. But that, I'm thinking like... You're that thinking about it's, that. It's going to be well, challenging. So what we've discovered when it was here before, they come all day long and even into the night, but they don't come in hordes. Mm. So, uh, and there's that good parking space. You know, there's a number of parking spaces in downtown Littleton. I mean, sorry, downtown Ashland. Littleton, Colorado. I used to live in Littleton. God, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> <What>? But um, <laughs> but no, there's there's some parking. I don't think it'll be as big a problem as people think. There might be a little spillover to side streets, but I don't think, except for the big festival with, that we're going to have when we unveil him and, you know, celebrate the installation, which will be March 30, 2024, okay. his birthday. Oh, nice. Um, that gives us plenty of time to do the construction because there's permits. It's a big process. Um, but he, um, I, I think they'll find parking. If there's, 
I just don't see it being that big a deal. I do think people will come all the time, but right. you'll have you know maybe five cars parked there okay. at at once, and that's still a lot of people. And Randolph Macon in the town work really well together. Yeah, so they'll, they'll figure they, something they out. They do. They really do. Um, you know, there might there might be school children coming in a bus, but you know, all that's manageable. Yeah, I, I'm excited. I, I it's the biggest thing that ever happened to Ashland. <laughs> and look, I, I I usually don't uh, make this distinction. Yeah, technically. That the farm that Secretary was born yeah. at and, and yeah. was raised and trained at yeah. is in Caroline County. It is in Caroline, and there has I, been a little pushback. I'm a, I'm a little surprised I even made that clarification yeah. on, on a recording yeah. about this because because well, we think of him as Hanover County yeah. as Ashland, but well, the meadow te- is right over the or, over the river. It's so right over the North Anna. So you know it's very close, but it's true. It's Caroline County, and we actually. You know, there's those in Caroline County who were saying it should be here. And and they were, you know, we were sort of looking for a good place. We wanted it to be in a public enough place that people could really visit. And and the meadow, you know, would have been a great spot. But the, the State Fair of Virginia, the Farm Bureau, they have a different business model and they're not open every day. And you can't just sort of, we wanted people to be able to roll up in their car and get out and take pictures and the kids to play around. And, you know, we wanted it to be really accessible to fans. And so, um, of course, had they po- come up with the 550,000, we might have <laughs> we might have uh, been going, okay, where do you want it? But I mean, I, that's a joke. Um, I do think Caroline wants to get their own statue. And I think they will probably succeed in, in putting something uh, uh, somewhere, maybe Bowling Green, maybe, you know, I don't, I don't quite know where. I mean, the thing is, I think you're right. It always has felt like Caroline and Hanover sort of, of similar region. Uh, Granddad grew up in Ashland, though. You know, he mm. grew up on the house at Randall, at uh, Racecourse and Duncan. That's the old Victorian house, the painted. Oh, yeah. That was oh, his house, right? right? Yeah. Catty Corner from your family. I grew, I grew up yeah. two blocks from there. Yeah. Did you really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, yeah. So, um, and then he went to Randolph-Macon. Um, he's always, he went, when he owned the meadow, he was a big supporter of Ashland charities. He, he founded Camp Town Races at the meadow to benefit Ashland uh, charities. I think it was the Ashland War Memorial they were mm-hmm. trying to raise money for. So he and we shopped at Cross Brothers. I went with my grandmother to Cross Brothers when I was a kid. You know, so there are many ties to Ashland, even if it's on the wrong side of the river. But um, but also, Granddad and you know all my relatives are buried at Woodland Cemetery. Oh really? So yeah, there's a lot of nexus with Ashland, and there. Um, you know, and and I I hope that Caroline will feel okay about it because we feel like it's a regional. Actually, we feel like it's a statewide thing. Yeah. You know, and and this is where it happens to be the most logical spot. Yeah, my grandfather was born on College Avenue in a house. Yeah. And um and again, like yeah. you said, a lot of Chenerys yeah. are buried. Tons of Chenerys. There's yeah. there's a bunch of cousins here. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them aren't named Chenery anymore. True. But there are a lot of us around. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's uh, Ashland itself is a destination, mm-hmm. uh, mostly because of the tracks, I think. But we're also a, a fairly unique town. The tracks are a big part of that. Uh, but the Downtown National Association has done a nice job of of really supporting small businesses Wonderful. and creating a vibe uh, for the downtown area. And Secretary's just going to multiply that times I, I don't know what, but by a lot. Oh, I think absolutely. It's going to be. Yeah, and it's such a beautiful town. It's, it's got such a great feeling. But I think, you know, 
yeah, they say this is a train town, but, you know, Secretariat had horsepower. So, you know, it's a transportation <laughs> town, right? There's some ways you can look at it. And the um, one of the, the Bishop family is very excited about supporting us. Their father was the pharmacist at Barnes Drugs and owned Barnes Drugs. And so Barnes Drugs was right opposite uh, where the statue's going to be. So that's yeah. like this lovely little symmetry. I mean, there's so many ways that... The history of the community, the people in the community, you know, are it's just, it's perfect that this is where he's going to be and that people, that, that I really hope he draws a lot of, I think he will, people to town who will then, you know, celebrate all Check the, out the rest of it. Yeah, check out the, yeah, all the shops and restaurants, enjoy it, want to come back. Barnes Drugstore in 1973. Yeah. I probably had not had a milkshake there yet, but I was within a couple of years of having a milkshake in yeah. that place. And yes, we were. I, I have such fond memories yeah. of, of the seventies yeah. and eighties in, in so Ashland. So Tom Bishop was that was owned it, and it's his kids who are supporting, you know, who are giving a lovely donation to the statue. So that's such a great thing. So when when this notion of the statue coming to uh, Ashland, yeah, was raised by Jocelyn for the first time. Yeah. How, how long ago was that? Uh, that was a uh, year and a half ago. And she said the number she said mm-hmm. just to mm-hmm. to own it. Yeah. What did you think the chances were that uh, you guys would, would be where you are right now? Well, knowing how much people love the horse. And Leanne and I, backing up briefly, my co-author, Leanne Layden, Leanne was the tourism director at the Meadow for the Farm Bureau. We would host these parties. People would come from Seattle. They would come from Germany. Really? They came from everywhere. And and people, the falling shed is still there, the, the original falling shed. People would fall down on their knees and cry when they saw the falling shed. There are people who got engaged in the falling I mean, the level of passion of Secretariat fans is so deep. And we had seen that. So we didn't know if we would get institutional support or foundation support or anything, but we really thought it was a good pitch and that Virginia needed this statue. And a lot of people, if they were reminded or taught that Secretary was born here, if they didn't know it, would go, yeah, yeah, Virginia needs a statue. So we, it was daunting, <laughs> clearly. It yeah. was like, what are we doing? But I think we had great faith that this would happen that once they saw the statue that's the other thing you know once it's it pulled into ashland i think a lot of folks who went yes yeah, statue of a horse huh and then they saw it and they went oh <laughs> yes we want this statue jocelyn is the real deal oh she's amazing she is so and i know you did a, a podcast with her she is just what an artist yes yeah. so careful such a great researcher she had everything just right extremely detailed yeah. and creative very which, creative which is uh yeah I imagine not typical. Yeah. Well, she described it. I don't know if she said this. She said, you know, sculpting the horse is like, um, you know, doing a painting or something. But casting it is like building a house. Mm. So you have to have both abilities. And then you have to have the ability to, you know, get get commissions. So she's a multi-dimensional artist. So, so you're pretty happy right now. Oh, yeah. I'm thrilled. I'm just thrilled. So what inspired yeah. you to write the book? Uh, so we started writing the book in 2007. Um, I, for me, there was always the question of how did we get so lucky? How did this amazing horse come to us? Um, and I mean, people travel from all over the world, they you're do. telling me. They do. It's, it's yeah. the most amazing horse 
probably known to man. Well, the, you know, fans of Man of War would probably question that, but he wasn't around, and so but there's no way to compare. No, I agree. I mean, you know, how many a- uh, a- athletes of any stripe uh, have their records unbroken after 50 years? It, I mean, it, it doesn't I don't happen. Think it doesn't happen. But so, you know, so I was, you know, I just always felt, and I had traveled with my mother and seen how people still loved her so much and, and you know, what she meant, what the horse meant, what she as a person meant to a lot of people because of what she'd overcome uh, to be the leader she became. Um, so I understood all that, but I didn't know how it was it that we produced this horse. Was it just lightning or what? So that was my question. Mm. And also, I did know enough of the history of the meadow, and I loved the land, and I just loved the... I just thought, there's a story there that needs to be told. And uh, I... I was a history buff, and I'd done a bunch of research, and I knew about the, um, you know, my ancestors, and they had an interesting story, and I just thought, this is, but you know, it's funny. So we did write this book. It's it's this big, beautiful coffee table book. We got this great artist to do the cover uh, image, which is so compelling. But in the beginning, I thought, well, this will be a little pamphlet, and maybe they'll sell it in the gift shop, you know, <laughs> like you might buy it, you know, at the, you know, National park right you know just some little thing but it got it kept growing we had all these great photographs and and it became this gorgeous thing and we've sold forty five thousand copies Holy of cow. this book wow yeah so it's become a you know and and uh i've learned so much we had so much fun doing research we didn't know we didn't know that we had a big connection to like the town of Doswell. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Doswell family uh, has also supported this statue but they're great 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 uh, grandparents were, um, you know, the inspiration for granddad to raise horses in central Virginia. Because huh. most people would think, oh, you can't raise good thoroughbreds here. You have to be in Kentucky. Well, the Doswells had champions who were the champions uh, in the 1880s and 70s. They were one of the dominant stables. And they were Bullfield right near the town of Doswell. So granddad knew that. They were right across the river from the meadow. Mm. So there's so many great stories that we didn't know, and a lot of people didn't know. So we had so much fun finding those answers. I didn't know that. Yeah. Who knew that? Yeah. Most people. See, this is the other thing we want to tell in connection with the statue. Central Virginia has a very deep and wonderful history with horse racing. Hmm. They brought the first thoroughbreds to this country to Caroline County in the 1760s. The first long thoroughbred races were run in Central Virginia. Hmm. Um, some of the greatest sires in the history uh, are from this area. So most people don't know that. It's as though everybody thinks, oh, it just sort of started in Kentucky. Well, of course, Kentucky started in Virginia. Right. But, but thoroughbred horse racing also started in Virginia. And that's a story that, you know, could be told. And there's some very cool sites that we, we were thinking about having, you know, a... Uh, like an audio, an app, and people could go driving around and say, oh, this is where this was, this was, and then learn the stories. And uh, we think they're fun stories. I think it's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, people love to do that kind of thing, and it's like there's wineries you can go visit. Why not visit, you know, horse sites? I would would take that tour. And and also go up to Middleburg and come back down with information along the way. What's significant about Middleburg? Well, Middleburg is the center for, uh, for... it's got some of the greatest uh, horse farms up there, but they're also hunting, horse hunting, you know, uh, hunting to hounds and other kinds of riding. So they're, they're, a, they're a much wealthier, more sort of historic 
general equine sports polo area polo all those kind of yeah. things you know but you know but if you're doing a horse history tour there's some great stables up there that yeah. you know and and it's so beautiful too so you know you can make a nice circuit you can have a reason to come to central virginia stay for several days and do all this horse stuff horse people love horse things <laughs> and there are a lot of horse people in the country yeah so what is it about the horse Oh, it's so many questions. Um, I think it has to do with the fact that they're so big and powerful. They could mow us down anytime they wanted, but they give us their trust. Mm. And we have to earn that trust. We have to be, you know, take good care of them. But when they do, there's this sort of magical connection. I think this has been true historically. They're so powerful, but they allow us to ride them. They allow us to, you know, sort of lead them around. And they have those big, beautiful blue, I mean, not blue, but big, beautiful eyes, right. you know, and that's something very soulful. You know, they use horses for, for therapy for people, for example, uh, veterans of, of wars who have PTSD. Um, they use they have what they call equine therapy, and it's not riding the horse. It's learning to communicate nonverbally and get the horse to do what you want. There's this really interesting dynamic that develops when... You're alone in a pasture with a horse, and you learn to communicate with them, and and you, there's something wonderfully healing about it. So there's horses are pretty amazing. Yeah, I uh, I, I rode horses uh, when I was a small kid, and I'm like the the scares me. It was they're they're so big. They're so big, and and I didn't spend enough time with them yeah. to have a full appreciation like yeah. you do. Well, so I think there's something called the H gene, which I've just made up, but <laughs> either you're born with it or you're not. I have a daughter who loves horses, another daughter who's terrified of them. So okay. if you're not born with the H gene, they may not really I, I, <laughs> float I, I, your boat. I did not have the H gene. <laughs> but, but I love the story of Secretariat. Yeah. And uh, I, I love the fact that you you referenced other athletes yeah. not having records that last right. as long as his right. have. And, I, what, go ahead. I was going to say, I can't remember exactly when they did it, but when one time when Sports Illustrated did their top 50 athletes of all time. Yes. There was only one animal on the list. Yeah. Well, and the animal And he should, was number 35. And yes. he should have yeah. been higher. Yeah. <laughs> he absolutely should have been higher. Yeah. Well, there are those who say he was Virginia's greatest athlete, and I don't want to, you know, diss any other athletes. There have been great athletes out of Virginia, but can any of them say that they are completely unrivaled in everything they did? Uh, there's no athlete that can say that, period, besides I, I think Secretary. So. Yeah. Where were you born? I was born in Colorado, in Denver. My parents were both East Coasters, and they moved out to Colorado in 1949 just to kind of have a fresh start, you know. It's a beautiful place to have a fresh start. Beautiful. My dad had trained there uh, in Colorado during the uh, war in the 10th Mountain Division, oh, okay. and he fell in love with it. So, 10th Mountain was out in Colorado yeah. back then. Yeah. Because today they're in upstate New York. Right, right, yeah. right. Well, they, they trained in the, in, you know, in the high mountains for the war. And, and no better yeah. place than Denver, yeah. probably, to train, yeah. or that area. Yeah. yeah. that's what, So you grew up in, in... Grew up in Colorado. Okay. But came back here a lot as a child uh, to visit my grandfather's farm, which was the meadow, and loved it. Just totally fell in love with Virginia. It was so beautiful. So different from the very dry kind of, you know, Colorado is beautiful in the mountains, but it's, it's high plains, and it's almost a desert. It's very dry. <laughs> dry and uh, the altitude can yes. have an impact on you as yeah. well, especially if you're a visitor to the area. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it's gorgeous. I it mean, is gorgeous. And and the city of Denver is beautiful because of a lot of planted trees. But if there wasn't irrigation, it would be a pretty brown place. Yeah. yeah. Which is weird to think of. I know. 
Yeah, it's really weird to think of. Yeah. It's it's maybe the highest desert in the world. Well, no, there's much higher ones in Chile. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm, but, you're you're, te- you're you're pushing on the bounds of my knowledge. Well, I studied Latin American <laughs> studies. That was ah, my major. So okay. I, you know, I I have lots of bits of arcane knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> Yours is probably more meaningful and useful than, than my uh, my knowledge for sure. Uh, did you ever live in Virginia as a child? I never did. Mm-mm. Okay. No. So, but you're so help me understand. Secretariat being raised at the meadow. At the meadow. Well, Granddad was from here. Okay. And he so he he. He left Virginia in 1920. There were very few opportunities for making money. And he he kind of had a, he loved horses and he knew the only way he'd be able to have them is if he made a lot of money. He went to New York City, uh, was had a real skill at, at, in finance, um, got some investors to back him, bought up utility companies, became very wealthy. Um, by about 1930, in 1936, he came back to Virginia and bought back the meadow, which had been in his family mm. up until it was lost to the bank in like 1912. So, um, but so that's why here, you know, and he knew the family history. He knew about Bullfield. He knew as a kid what he had done. They grew up very poor. Um, and so the kids were doing anything they could to earn money. And one of the things he did is he walked from Ashland up to Doswell to exercise the few remaining horses that belonged to the Doswell stable. Mm-hmm. And that's how he fell in love with horse racing. And Bernard Doswell uh, was you know, a, a cousin, distant cousin, and he rode the horses for him. So anyway, Granddad had this love of the region. He had this love of horses. And when the meadow itself, the property, became available, he bought it and started his, his racing stable in 1936. Um, at the site where it is now the State Fair of Virginia. So Secretary was born in 1970. 70. Where were your parents in 1970? We were in Colorado. In Colorado. Yeah. yeah. But your mom was deeply involved in Secretary for those three years. Well, so what happened was grandmother died in 1968, and granddad had been going downhill. He Mm -hmm. was getting senile. So they sort of knew something had to happen, and then all of a sudden grandmother's gone, and mom has to step up to run the the farm um, and she really wanted to do it she was very excited about it um, because she was not that happy as a housewife she was a very energetic ambitious talented woman and she was kind of bored frankly yeah. and didn't like cooking or cleaning and <laughs> so, who does well you know some people feel like you know I like to cook but yeah. anyway she was made for this job and when it came open um, I think her siblings thought, well, we'll just get it, you know, sort of get it in the black because it had been sort of neglected, and then we'll sell it. But mom had other ideas. She said, no, I want to run this stable, and I want to make something of it. And the thing is, granddad had great uh, broodmares. He had great bloodlines that he had developed over 30 years and had had some great horses. And she thought, hey, we can keep this going. So. What she ended up doing is commuting from Denver to Virginia. She was, she was commuting that commuting. whole time. Yeah, not you know, like she would be here a, a week, go home, spend a week, come back for a week. So she was gone a lot, and she was also going to New York because that's where uh, Belmont was sort of our home track. So mm. that's where the horses would go to race. Um, sometimes in the winter they'd go to Florida, but in the rest of the year they'd be at Belmont. So she was floating all over the place, and. Um, just as happy as she could be but it was hard you know the we she had four kids still at home 
Yeah, because you were a teenager. When I was a teenager. Yeah. yeah. So um, my older sister was a senior in high school, and she was very responsible, um, and she had her driver's license. So she got a lot of lot delegated to her. You know, Sarah, take care of this. Sarah, will you drive Chris to you know? And I was sort of a rebel. The movie, if you've seen the movie, shows me as as, as kind of a hippie rebel. That was certainly true. <laughs> and and they shipped me off to a boarding school. Uh-huh. And at that time, I thought, well, this is no fair. She gets to stay home. Why don't I? But when I was a parent, I began to see that it wouldn't have been very smart to leave me unsupervised because <laughs> unlike Sarah, I had my own ideas about what I wanted to do. So they, they sent me to a boarding school in Massachusetts, and it was a great school, and I was happy to be there. But they needed me supervised because mom was gone a lot. And the two younger brothers were, yeah, they were younger, and they were, you know, and dad was traveling too. Yeah. He traveled for his work. So he was an oil and gas lawyer. So... Um, yeah, it was a it was a time of big transition in our family, and then a lot of sacrifice from everybody. A lot of sacrifice, yeah. Um, and we just knew how much happier mom was, so we were all happy for her, you know. It, but it was it wasn't I can't say it wasn't stressful. Um, but then dad, because he knew that her world was now centered towards the east, he got a job in New York and he moved the family to New York in '72. Okay. It, now, if you see the movie, that's all left out. New York is left out completely. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, Disney said, too many places, too confusing, we have to streamline. And they made a great movie. So, um, but yeah, so that's, I, I was first in boarding school and then off in college. But when I, whenever I was around and we could come back to the farm, I would come. And so I got to see Secretary as a foal, and I got to see him as a yearling and a two-year-old, even though I didn't live here. So, uh Help me with terms. Fold yeah. is what. Fold. I'm sorry. Oh, no, you're fine. I, I, some people say colt. A colt is a male foal. Foal ah, is a baby. Gotcha. Basically, and zero There's, zero six months. Yeah, but you're well. It's foal, then yearling, then two year old. So foal is first year. Yearling is after they've turned one. One to two. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. I, these are loose terms, but yeah. But generally speaking, yeah, that generally follow, speaking. follows that. Yeah. All right. So you you said you went to boarding school in Massachusetts. That yeah. had to be a massive culture shock for you. It was. <laughs> it can, was. Can you talk about what what was uh, well new and bizarre to you? Well, first of all, there were only about five of us from west of the Mississippi. You know, and they had these weird notions about Colorado. It's like you know, like I, it was kind of this backwards country. Um, it hadn't yet become known for the great skiing, and you know. It was it was on its way towards doing that, um, but I felt like you know like these were very sophisticated. They dressed well. They knew you know they they all were like you know miles ahead of me in sophistication. Um, but you know I mean you know it was sort of everything was an equalizer, and we all you know I I got used to it. And we were right outside Boston. I loved being able. To, I was able to take the train into Boston, and I could go to museums it's and a, movies and shopping and all kinds of great things. Yeah, it's, it's funny in, in sports, and, and yeah. we're talking a lot about sports because the secretary. Uh, Boston New York rivalry is a massive Legendary. thing. It's, it's, yeah. it's probably the rivalry. Yeah. pick a sport. Yeah, uh, and but Boston is tiny. <laughs> Compared to the five boroughs. It's, oh, yeah. It's not a big place, but it is such a charming, unique place to go. Well, it is a big metro statistical area. Oh, it's Very a dense. big, big MSA. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but you're right, the city of Boston. And it's so historic. I loved history. I was in Concord, Mass. Thoreau, you know, Louisa May Alcott. I mean, it was like I was in heaven. It was wonderful. Yeah, and Revolutionary War. Revolutionary yeah. War, yeah. 
It was yeah. either fought there or in Virginia. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, that's the other thing I love about Virginia. I mean, I love the history. That's it's just so, I don't know. Um, it just makes you feel, I don't know, alive. You know, alive and, in the and and you have and connected. Ro- ro- yeah, roots to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, or you're connected to those roots. Yeah, you know. absolutely. Yeah. All right. So, uh, where'd you go to school? College. After. Uh, well, I went to three colleges. <laughs> I started out at Antioch, and then I ended up finally at University of Texas because I was interested in Latin American studies. I did go as an exchange student to Chile, okay. and then I spent some time in Ecuador, and I loved Spanish, and you know, I just, I don't know, I got oriented in that direction. So was it about the language mostly? Uh, started out about the language, and then once I got, went down there, I just, the people were so warm, and it was just such a... Uh, I know it kind of an embracing environment. It yeah. was it was really lovely, and uh, I ended up most of my career. I started out as a lawyer. I went to Berkeley for law school, and I as a lawyer I did immigration and refugee and asylum law, working mostly with people from Central America. And then when I had kids, it just it was so hard to be a you know the stress of being a lawyer was too much. So I ended up quitting law and becoming an ESL teacher. So I've worked mm. with immigrants almost all my life. Yeah, we yeah. met we met a uh, local small business owner, a couple. Teresa about, Lopez. Yes, I saw that. She is fabulous. Oh I my love gosh! Her. I mean, yeah. within a couple minutes, I'm I like, know. you're a force of nature. She is amazing. She is amazing. We are so lucky to have her in our community, and her husband Edgar is great too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I am now a patron of uh, her store. Yes, yeah. Yeah. it's a great store. We stopped store. talking to her, and both of us went straight over there. And <laughs> got food and saw the yeah. store. And, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, yeah. And talk with her more. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. No, yeah. They, they are amazing. They are amazing. It's a great family. A great family, yeah. and uh, I mean... People that are several generations in this country don't have a real appreciation for what it's like to immigrate Absolutely. anywhere. Absolutely. Um, and what great work ethics they have. I mean, oh, oh you know... It, yeah, they work around the clock. It's amazing. Yeah, it, yeah. Most other cultures uh, would be considered lazy. Yeah. In comparison. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. we said that afterwards. Like, exactly. Yeah. How do you fit everything you do in twenty-four hours? I know. Yeah. So. I know. And she had a smile on her face, and she yeah. seemed like she had endless energy. Yeah, too. yeah. I know. Yeah, she's phenomenal. All right, so uh, Antioch. I don't. Where is that? It's in Ohio, Yellow Springs, Ohio, okay. near Dayton. Why? Yeah. Why did you choose Antioch out of high school? Well, I was. <laughs> I was a, a rebel, and I was countercultural, and it was the most liberal place I could go. <laughs> I think I was just trying to drive my parents crazy, frankly. No, I understand. <laughs> well, this was 1971, you know. So Antioch and then Texas, yeah, which by today's standards is yeah. a fairly conservative yeah. state. But it was, well, it's an excellent school, always was. But Austin is not necessarily No, Austin is not. <laughs> uh, keep Austin weird, I think. Yeah, is exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, Austin was very fun to be in in the mid-70s. Great music. I think it's fun now. And some great food. Yeah. I think, I think it's really been fun. like that for decades. No, it has. It's yeah. really, yeah. It's, and it's maintained place. that mostly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then uh, the fact you went out to Berkeley. And Berkeley. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't get much more liberal than that. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. But, you know, I mean, that's, you know, I, I sort of got politicized by studying about Latin America. I mean, mm. there's a lot of... So much poverty and, and, you know, anyway, I just, I was always sort of a questioner. I was always looking for um, sort of different understanding, you know, and answers. So, but, um, yeah. And the world's richer for multiple perspectives. A single perspective or only two perspectives. I think so. I think we all have things to learn from each other. 
Yeah. We just need to listen. Yeah. And that's one thing that's fabulous about Secretariat. He was always such a unifier. Mm. You know, he really, at the time, you know, in 1973, it was such a crazy time, you know, between, you know, plane hijackings in Vietnam and Watergate and, you know, just sort of this real sense of division, you know, parents and children, you know, and, and, uh, and he was something everybody could embrace and feel good about. And he made them feel good about themselves. And... Um, so we have always worked really hard to maintain him as a uh, as sort of a pure symbol of the family has and you know not he can't be used for you know co-opted for any particular you know cause whatsoever so it's it's great to have him remain that way and be a, a, I hope a source of that in this modern era which is also very divisive yeah you know and I really think you know you find people you strike, strike up a conversation and you have this wonderful thing in common and the rest of it doesn't really matter, you know? So I'm, I'm excited about him playing that role again in this community. I love that. And, yeah. and you say community, I think it's probably statewide. Yeah, I think it is statewide, certainly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Speaking of statewide, yeah. is, does the state government have anything to do with your efforts? Uh, no, I, I mean, we're certainly uh, getting support from the Virginia Equine Association. Um, they're supporting us. I don't think they actually can give us money. I don't know what the regulations are, mm. but they're supporting us in other ways, making contact and uh, urging others to, you know, support us and giving us opportunities to, you know, uh, do presentations. And um, yeah, so they're being, oh, Virginia Tourism is supporting us because they can give us a grant that uh, helps us with, you know, like a big love sign or, you know, other mm. things that promote tourism, right. which we certainly will be doing. And so they're behind us, which is great. All right. So I, I can't wait to ask you the next set of questions. Yeah. So you knew uh, Secretary as a foal. Mm -hmm. uh, any, and there, there had been successful uh, horses from that stable, but, mm -hmm. but not like anywhere yeah. near the, the level the Secretary ultimately no. attained. When did your mom or anybody else around Secretariat know that Secretariat was different? Well, he came out different from, you know, when he was born. He was, he was bright red. He stood up way sooner than most fools do, big, sturdy. Um, I think moms, someone said, oh, he's a whopper <laughs> when he came out. Um, and, he, and he had this, you know, and, and then from then on, he sort of always showed... Uh, sort of a, a different spirit. He was curious. He was, um, his mother was sort of the queen of the herd. She was the old, you know, the dominant uh, mayor. And so therefore he was kind of like the heir apparent. So he was in his uh, full crop. He was also sort of the biggest and most, you know, he, he, he was, he had, he was the biggest personality yeah, in the group. Like and, it. you know, people think horses don't have personalities. Well, you don't know horses if you think that, you know, it's like dogs. They have personalities, Absolutely. you know. So, um, so he was always fun to watch and he was always a little bit like, wow. But, you know, you, it takes more than, you know, sort of pizzazz and size to be a great racehorse. I mean, you could be a great racehorse and be sort of nondescript and, and small, but if you've got the spirit, you know, and you've got the drive and you've got, you can get the muscles coordinated, you could be a great racehorse. So you never know. I mean, we thought he was fabulous, but, uh, you know, and the movie does allude to this. He sort of was like a gangly teenager who grows into his, his height too fast. So he, he didn't have muscle control exactly as well as it developed later when he first started racing. So we didn't really know. I mean, the trainer really expected a lot from him, but it, 
it took him a little while to put it all together. He lost his first race, for example. Mm. Yeah. But then from then on, each race, he showed us something new. So every time we saw him race, it was like, oh, wow, he's better than we thought. Oh, wow, he's even better than we thought. So it was, um, I, I, you know, you can't say, oh, at this moment we knew. It was more like, it was kind of like just watching this train pick up speed. You know, it's like, wow, what else is he going to do? He gave yeah. you some signs along the way, but it was it sounds oh, yeah. like he was a lot more gradual. Oh well, he had all the potential. He had a fab. He had the best sire in the nation, who was Bold Riddler. He his mother was a great mare, had produced many great horses, and her father was a, known for stamina. So we knew it was a good cross, speed and stamina mix. That's what you're always going for. We he knew he was beautiful. We knew he was smart. We knew he um, had the physical ability. Was he going to put it all together? And he did. But none of that is guaranteed. Uh, how old was he when he ran his first race? He was, it was July 4 of 1972, okay. so he was two and a half. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's, but still gangly at that yeah. point. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, he grew an inch in, in during that first year. He, they had to get a whole new belt, um, girth for him, not belt, but you know, the the girth is what holds on the saddle. The, right. And so, um, yeah, he, he, they had to let it out a notch and then get a whole new one for him because he was still growing. Yeah, one of the things that I found fascinating, and tell me if this is right, he would run one of the Triple Crown races, mm-hmm. and it's exhausting for mm-hmm. those horses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I think that's why the Triple Crown's so hard. But yeah. t- if you win the first two, yeah. good luck winning the yeah. third one, because that horse is exhausting. And the third one is much longer than the other two. Right, yeah. which, which makes it yeah, yeah. especially harder. Yeah. He would run past the finish line mm-hmm. like he wasn't really working that hard. Mm-hmm. And the jockey said... You know, the Belmont, for example, which, you know, he broke the record by over two seconds. He he said he, he wasn't all that, you know, he wasn't that tired. He could have gone on a lot longer. And he was just sort of loping along. Um, but beautifully Beautifully fast. and so fast. And and he, I think he set an unofficial record in the furlong after. Furlong is an eighth <laughs> of a mile. So he just, you know, was like... That, that's and, ridiculous. And, and, you know, the other horses were so far behind. It wasn't about beating them. It was about, hey, I feel good. I'm going to see what I can... I'm going to go as fast as I can. Yeah. As long as I can. And Belmont was yeah. the one that he won by 50... 30, 31 likes. 30, 30, yeah. yeah 31 likes, yeah. yeah. Almost a quarter of a mile. <laughs> but in the, in the Derby, he ran every furlong faster. That is also unheard of. Yeah. Because, you know, usually it's a speed race. You start out fast and then everybody gets tired. Not Secretariat. He just was accelerating <laughs> like you said he got better and better yeah you know, he did showed him something new yeah. Every race. yeah and and both the jockey well the jockey and the trainer and mom were all so sad when he retired at the end of his third-year-old year because he could have shown us such amazing stuff as a four-year-old because what? really he was achieving he was growing and learning and getting better and better all the time why did he retire because granddad died and we had huge estate taxes uh-huh. he died in january of 73 we, by September, we had to come up with $11 million in estate taxes. Wow. And so the only way we could do that was to syndicate secretariat mm. to a breeding syndicate. And mom was savvy. She negotiated the right to race him through his three-year-old year and control everything that happened. They, they couldn't say anything to her. But at the end of that, November, she, November 11, 1973, she had to hand him over. And that was it. And so he never raced again because the money is in breeding, frankly. No, I, I understand yeah. that. Yeah. I'm going to make a reference to that yeah. uh, in a couple minutes. <laughs> okay. Uh, so do you remember the Kentucky Derby in 73? I wasn't there, but I certainly saw it. 
it yeah. was on TV. It's yeah, always it's, on it's TV. been on TV oh, forever. Yeah. Of course. Uh, so I where were you when the the race took place? Um, I was um, I wasn't at college. Um, th- see, the, here's the thing that's so weird. People say, "Where were you? What do you th- remember?" It was such a blur. That whole time was so surreal. I mean, it, really, we didn't. You know, there was so much media attention. There was so much going on. There was such. I was living two lives. One was uh, kind of the normal kind of college kid who was, you know, doing my thing. And then the other was, you know, watching my mother being interviewed on the Today Show, you know. So it's kind of kooky. I was pretty, I'm I'm pretty sure I was with friends at a friend's house. Who I was with, I can't remember. (laughs) It was 50 years ago. Which is, yeah, I mean, I remember the Belmont because I was at the track and I remember that very specifically. But, um, but yeah, mom. You had to be at Belmont, right? Oh yeah, I had to. And the thing is, mom had, um, you know, she had a brother and a sister, and they were all co-owners, and each of them had friends and business associates. So there was such a large group of people that there really wasn't room for the kids. Mm. I hate to say that. So we didn't get to go to the Derby or the Bel- uh, the Preakness, but we all went to the Belmont. Right, so you have yeah. memories of that. Day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So walk walk me yeah. through that experience. Well, I got up that morning thinking oh my gosh, we might win the Triple Crown. And nobody had done it in 25 years, and nobody even really thought about it. It was like, oh, well, it doesn't happen anymore. Right. you know. But here we were on the brink, and we thought it was very possible. Unless he woke up not feeling well, which happens, uh, or stumbled, or who knows what. Um, but so I was going, wow, that would be the most amazing thing. And again, this feeling of us. Why us? How, how is this possible? And... Um, and then just, you know, <laughs> I was stay- living with my sister in Brooklyn, and she had this, you know, converted loft that was pretty funky. And, uh, you know, and, and so we didn't normally dress up, you know, so, but we had to find, we, you know, we, we got out nice linen dresses and found pantyhose, which I, you know, never wore, <laughs> and nice shoes. And, and th- we take the betters train from Brooklyn to the Belmont, and the betters train is where all the betters are, and they all have their daily racing form, and they're, you know, and they're all, you know, just the, the betters, the regular horse fans. And so here we are, and the, and the, I, I remember seeing because the newspapers had mom's face on it and the, and the horses, you know, and the headlines, Penny, Tweety, and, and my sister and I are kind of sitting there with our, you know, kind of hiding behind our hands going, this is so surreal. And then we get to Belmont and they all, all the betters get out and walk in the normal entrance and we climb up the little stairs to the elite, you know, <laughs> owner's box area or the, you know, anyway, it just was, it was, it was really fun, but it was really strange. The mm. whole thing was you know, whole day we, had to feel. Yeah, straight. it was like we were on a on a movie set or something, and it was like couldn't quite believe any of it was real. But it was, you know, and then the race itself was just unbelievable. So how long? Uh, how long? How fast did he run that race? Roughly, do you remember? I think somebody's clocked it. They've done the math, and I don't. I know it was in the forties, around forty miles per hour. Um, but um, but it's like like two, a little over two minutes, maybe for the whole race. Oh, it was two minutes twenty four seconds. So and two, and most horses, I mean, the the closest horse, he was two point two and two fifth seconds faster than the next record, and and every year the, when the Belmont happens, you know, I I, you know, it's great. You watch the race, and it's like I see the timing and go, ha, not anywhere near. <laughs> I, think, I think this year it was like two twenty nine something. Yeah, yeah, it was way so, slower. It was yeah. way slower. Yeah. All right. So, but the two minutes and twenty four seconds. Mm-hmm. 
do you have memories of the actual race? Oh yeah, absolutely. Because I, I think I would have been too uh, anxious, uptight, nervous to actually register me. Memories. No, no. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. The program I had was, you know, in shreds by the time the race came along, <laughs> you know, because I was like so nervous. But, you know, watching it, we're all freaking out because he goes to the lead right away and he never does that. Mm. And it's such a long race that that's bad strategy. Um, but it was his idea. He was feeling good. And the jockey knew better than to get in his way, mm. essentially. He trusted him. And, you know, so... So we're watching him like go to the lead right away, and then Sham comes up. His great competitor, Sham, comes up and catches him. And then the back stretch is, you know, it's hard to see, but we had binoculars, so you're watching. And, you know, they're dueling Secretariat and Sham and Secretariat and Sham. So there's this moment where you think, oh my God, what if today's the day? Because Sham had been valiant mm. and all, and right on Secretariat's heels for, you know, all the Triple Crown races. And then slowly we see Sham start to drop back and slowly Secretary pulls away and then he keeps pulling away more and more and more. And it just becomes inexorable. It's like, you know, and, and others knew. I, I was too busy to actually notice the time, but other people were noticing the time and saying, oh my God, he's going too fast. This is, this is not smart. I mean, what's going to happen? He's not going to, he won't be able to sustain it. Um, but so we're just kind of standing in on the, you know, and the crowd is babbling and screaming and can you believe this as he gets a little farther and farther and farther ahead and he comes charging around the corner and the 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 final turn and then you know you're thinking again the surrealness it's like this can't be happening something will happen to bring it back to normal you know reality and the only thing you can think of is that the jockey will fall off so so you think ronnie just don't fall off just don't you know and we're doing that and mom's doing that and you know it's like it, it's all you can think about because it's so unbelievable and then you know he keeps pulling ahead and then you know and then he crosses the line and then it's a long time before the rest of them <laughs> cross the line yeah. behind him and and you know people really didn't know what to say all they could say is did you can you believe that did you see that you know and then I, I don't know it was um and then we're all you know just trying to celebrate trying to figure out how to celebrate you know and people it's just we know we've all seen something really historic and really amazing and but it's hard to process it takes a while to process and and there was a little piece of me that thought wow this is so great but you know sort of assuming like everything progresses in in you know it'll some other horse will come along and be as good and, and it just hasn't happened ever, you know. And so as time's gone on, you realize more and more just how unbelievable that was. Yeah, each year that passes. Yeah, yeah. Because how many Triple Crown winners have there been since 73? Uh, well, there have been five. Yeah. And um, none of them have come any. But the, here's the other stat I find interesting. If you add up, there have been 13 Triple Crown winners. If you take their times in each of the three races, put them all together, they're still the fastest of them is still five seconds behind Secretariat. So we're talking creme de la creme here. Yeah. And they're not anywhere near him either. Yeah, so. Yeah. so it's wild. It's wild. So two minutes, 24 seconds. Yeah. Is your recollection that it felt like it took forever because you're like, of course. Like, oh. So it, it, yeah. felt, it felt like half oh, an hour. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. It just, you know, and, and so much is happening around you. There's pandemonium, you know, and so, you know, it's. Yeah, it's time. It's not. It's kind of out of body. You know, it's not normal time. 
it's not a normal experience. Nothing about it was normal. That's probably the, the most not normal you've yeah. ever experienced. Yeah. yeah, no, no. Did you place a bet that day? I don't bet. <laughs> and, on secretariat or in general? In general. I mean, I, I have lost, you know, every time I bet, I lose money, so I just don't bet. <laughs> so you're just being smart. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like fun, but eh, no, I don't bet. <laughs> did any, any of your siblings bet? My little brother was a good better, and he probably did. Uh, I I don't recall those conversations. You know, most people who bet on Secretariat never cash their check. Their their, um, you know, they kept them. Yeah, they, yeah. Because why? You know, it's more. It's, it's worth more. It's more emo- Yeah, emotionally, it's worth more. And you know, if it was probably a two dollar bet, you probably got ten cents back. You know, probably. yeah, you I mean, got two dollars ten cents. I can't imagine. We can probably look up the odds. But yeah, the odds had to no, be crazy. it was. Yeah, you you not worth cashing that check. <laughs> yeah, well, sentimental value, the emotional value. I was yeah. there that day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's Because, you, you, you know, yeah, I was there. That's my proof. All right, so what was the, I don't know, six months after, a year after, a couple of years? I, I don't know. Yeah. It was said that he had to retire. So yeah, that, that yeah was he retired. Absolutely. But yeah. well, before, before he retired, before you realized that yeah. he was going to retire, yeah. was that uh, a, a weird period, a fun period. Well, here's the thing: we knew she had to sell him before he ran the Triple Crown races. She syndicated him in February. Oh, so you already knew that. Yeah, we already knew that. Yeah. Um, and and but it was a huge risk. This was a very savvy move on her part because he might not have won. Right. Um, so, but if we had waited, if we had waited and he went won, we would have gotten a lot more money. If we had waited and he lost, we would have gotten a lot less money and we couldn't have paid the taxes. So she really sort of had to take that gamble. Yeah. Well, she played it down the middle, which yeah. she, she hedged. And yeah, and yeah. Hedging's usually pretty yeah. smart. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but do you have, what, what was it like? Did you go around the country with the horse? Did no, mom no. Go around the- no, I mean, I was in college, and I actually went back to Ecuador because I had a, um, I was doing a bilingual ed program um, as through a couple, Antioch had a program uh, with another college in Ecuador, and that so I that's I went off to Ecuador, and came back in December. Um, but I did, um, you know, I kept in touch, um, of course. Um, but really, I didn't have I, I went on with my life so, more or less. I mean, you know, I was in college. I was I was twenty. You know, I no. had you know, and 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 really, there wasn't much for me to do. Um, you know, mom kept racing him. Um, and it's weird to say you just go on with your life, but you know, that was my job. I was a college student. <laughs> yeah, I, I think in these days, yeah, um, kids might drop out of college and might. go, might do go live the life yeah. that of, yeah. that's born out of something yeah. amazing like that. Yeah. Well, you know, we had to pay the taxes. We weren't rolling in dough. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, obviously you have to have a certain amount of money to even have horses. Right. But it wasn't as though, you know, I had access to that. You know, mom had to use everything she had to support the stable and keep the horses going. And they kept winning. So that was great. But, you know, you know, the the old saying about how about horse racing, how do you make a million in horse racing? You start with a billion. <laughs> so this is not a money-making endeavor. Not, not a great return. <laughs> Although you can make a huge amount of money, but it's very rare. It's like, you know, winning the lotto. Or, sort or of. Be becoming a pro football yeah, player. Exactly. Or yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or yeah. Or, or writing a best-selling novel. It doesn't happen very often. <laughs> no, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know? It, it's rare air. So, sure. so she had, you know, and... And she kept the horses going for a long time, but, you know, she never had another secretariat. And 
with granddad gone and his business not supporting the horse racing stable it was every, there was a lot of attrition over time she you know she got finally got down to one horse and then no more, no horses when she was older and did, did know, she stay here was she no, here the whole time no she was uh, she was in new york we had moved to new york and that was the center really of the you know that was where the racing was she came down here a lot but granddad had been so generous in his will he gave money to Randolph-Macon, he mm. gave money to St. James the Less Church, he gave money to his church in New York and other colleges, Washington and Lee, to Lincoln Center in New York. There wasn't enough money for mom in the will to keep both the farm and the horses. Mm. And so she wasn't gonna give up the horses. You know, he had spent all that time building up this amazing bloodline and that was her heart, was racing. And it was, it was you know, Heartbreaking to have to sell the meadow, but they had to sell the meadow in 1979. Oh wow, that's pretty yeah. quick. Yeah. Well, it was that was when the estate had to be settled. Yeah. Her brother and sister were not interested in supporting her going in with her. Had they combined forces, they could have kept them, but they were going. Nah, we don't want. We're done. So your mom ended up just going back to Colorado full time. No, she took the horses to New York. To New York. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so she, the horses went with. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, she took the horses to New York, and and that was by then the center of the family was New York. Got it. And, and that's where she spent the rest of her days. No, she didn't. She lived there until 92, and then she moved to Lexington, ah. um, which, you know, that was her world. And that was, and that's and such a beautiful, great place to be, you know. And so she loved Kentucky. She was there until she got old, ill enough. You know, she, in 2005, we made her move to Colorado, where mm. the rest of us by then had moved. We'd all re reassembled in Colorado. And um, because she, you know... We couldn't keep flying out to Kentucky to take care of her every time. You know, she was getting old. Yeah. So we said, Mom, you got to live near us. So she did. And so she lived the last 12 years of her life in Colorado. With all four of her With kids? Us. Yep, all four of us. That's unusual. It was great. Yeah, it was really wonderful to have her there. Well, and to have all four of you there. Yeah, and have all four of us. And then the other thing was I started then traveling with her when she got sick, like in the early 2000s. And so I would, you know, go with her to races, and I would meet the fans, and I would watch her. She was unbelievable. Um, people would line up for eight hours to have her sign things, and she would sign things for eight hours. Her hand, she would have to soak her hand in ice mm. because it got so sore, but she would keep going. She's I mean, a rock star. Oh, she was amazing. She was really amazing. Yeah. No, and, and so I learned from that. I mean, she was always very humble with the fans. And I learned from that, um, you know, to be the same way. You know, she was a real model. I mean, I, you know, I haven't signed. Nobody's wanted me to sign anything <laughs> for eight hours. Um, but I have signed a lot of books. And, I was going to say, and that's I, fun. I, I should have bought your book before <laughs> yeah, you came. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I should have brought you one. We have one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We'll get but, you one. Yeah. Paul. But anyway, yeah. so so that's sort of how I learned about the business. And it was during that time that I said, oh, I need to write this book. Because um, the Secretariat story had been told uh, from the point of view of sports. Bill Knack wrote this fabulous book, mm -hmm. Secretariat. Uh, really a great book. It's out of print, but if you can get a copy, it's really good. But so I wanted to write the family side, you know, mom, the granddad side, mom's side. Granddad was a great man. He did a lot of really amazing things. And so... That was my intent, and I think I understood that was a need when I was traveling around with her. And then, and and by then, my you know my kids were grown. You know, I was at a point in my career where I could spend more time with her. And then, you know, toward, I, I did a lot to you know take care of her in her older years. Uh, 
You have how old are your kids now? Um, thirty nine and thirty seven. Are they on the East Coast? Well, one's in Philly and the other's in Albany. Yeah, I can get on Amtrak and go see them both. Yeah, is that great? Yeah, it is. Yeah, and from, you can see Secretary. Yeah, 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 right. And I can walk to the Amtrak station with my little rollerboard, get on the train, get out, you know, see my kids. It's pretty fabulous. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. All right, so you wrote a book with mm-hmm. your your mm-hmm. co-author. Mm-hmm. Uh, Knack was written. Mm-hmm. Others have written about Secretary. Mm-hmm. How uh, was the movie tied into any of those books and and or your family? Uh, so the movie um, was based on Bill Knack's book with interviews of mom. So the screenwriter came out and spent time interviewing mom. He came to the meadow. Leanne and I showed him around the meadow. We had a great time talking to him and filling him in more. Um, he the book was not written by the our book was not written until 2010 came okay. out just before the movie so there's no real correlation there except for the fact that we he got a lot of info from us and from mom and um uh so they did a really good job they they left out certain things they left out my aunt they left out new york they left out reva ridge who was our other great champion who won the derby and the belmont the year before secretariat that was, Nobody your, knew, that was your family source as well. That was our well. family source as well. That was mom's first great success. Wow. And the reason they left him out is they said, well, you can't have two champions in one movie. And they're, yeah, you're right. Ah. Well, they made a good movie. They knew what they were doing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I imagine they have a yeah. formula. Oh, yeah. They, they, yeah. I mean, the tension was great. In a movie where you know exactly what's going to happen, you're still on the edge of your seat. That's good movie making. Yeah. <laughs> it's impossible movie making. That's, yeah, that's also yeah, rare. Yeah, kind of stuff. no, it's true. But anyway, they, um, so that you know, they left out Riva, um, left out New York, my aunt. But you know what? Um, they did. Most of it is true. Certain things they had to sort of condense facts. Like for example, they show me singing in a musical, and Mom calls in because she can't be there, and she's sorry she can't be there, and they hold the phone up. It's it's really kind of funny. I don't sing. I was never in that musical. There's no way. But it was it, they used that as sort of a um, a way to represent the kinds of things as a mother she missed right. in her kids' lives. So that was sort of the they used me as sort of, and also they used me to exemplify the division in the country and the you know the the contrast between you know anti-war and pro-war and you know so that was fun. That was. I was the emblem of all that in the movie. And you felt they were fairly accurate mm-hmm. in that portrayal? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah 100%. <laughs> so so for movie makers, it sounds like they were fairly accurate relative oh, to, yeah. to most yeah. movies that are based on, yeah. or should be based on real events. Yeah. You can't believe everything. but And people do. They think, oh, did your mother say that? And I go, mm, I don't think so. But most of it was really true. And Diane Lane did a fabulous job. I thought she was great. Yeah, yeah. She's a really good actress. Yeah. And yeah. then you mentioned earlier how y'all were, while the race was going on, y'all were saying... Don't fall off. Don't yes, fall off. And exactly. I remember John Malkovich in the says movie it in the movie. Ronnie, just don't fall off. Exactly. Well, exactly. Well, they they took a lot of it. You know, there was a lot of good material to work yeah. with, so they didn't have to make that stuff up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, are, are you full time in Asheville now? Mm-hmm. Okay. What what uh, brought you back to this area? Well, when I was here to write the book, uh, I just had so much fun. I I. I spent the summer of 2007 subletting a, a, a kid's apartment in the fan. And boy, was that fun. Fan, I, Richmond is such a great town. And, and then I, you know, I have cousins here. I, uh, you know, I have fa- uh, friends. I have uh, writing that book was such a fun experience. And I just, when I, when I was ready to retire, 
And uh, mom had by then gone, uh, it, you know, and it was kind of like time to move on. And uh, Denver had gotten very expensive and kind of hot and, cr- and crowded. And mm. uh, I wanted a smaller, quieter place. And I had always loved Ashland. I, I'd always thought, God, that would be fun to live there. So when it was time for me to make a shift, I went, Ashland. And you had never really lived here. No, I'd been through a lot. Yeah. You know, as, as a kid, I came and shopped with my grandmother at Cross Brothers. <laughs> I remember, you know, Ashland was, you know, a, you know, I, and I'd been to various festivals when I'd, I'd come back many times because we had these annual secretary birthday parties at the, at the state fair at the Meadow right. with Leanne. She'd organize them and I'd come. And so I'd been back a lot. Okay. And I just, it was such a, such a great community. How can you? Camp Town Races lived a couple a couple of different lives. Yes. One, I think, back in the 70s? No, first it was in the mid-50s. Mid, it started that early. Yeah, wow. at the Meadow. But it was there only five years. And then one year, Granddad found uh, uh, glass in one of the paddocks. And Ooh. he said, oh, we're not doing this anymore. Yeah. You know, because that could cut a horse. And, sure. You know, it got a little wild, I guess. So. Yeah. Um, so then, you know, it moved on to other places. But yeah, it started at the Meadow in the 50s. And I think they... they redid it at the meadow or really close to the meadow again it must not have been at the meadow because i think it was actually on this side of the river huh uh but back might in the been. 90s yeah it might have been i think it was at strawberry hill for a while yeah and, and i don't know where I, I don't know where else it was i sort of lost track of that but well, when, um, when i when we were growing up we went it was essentially in ashland it was maybe just outside the limits but yeah you go yeah. really one North. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. They did and, that twice. I think there were two yeah. different periods where they they had yes, camp town races. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it went away for a while. Then yeah, they brought it back. There. They brought it back. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, I gather was, it was a wild time. The first iteration <laughs> when we were kids was absolutely wild. Yeah, a little tamer the second time. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I bet it was. Yeah, that's yeah, like a little Woodstock in yeah. horse racing the first time around. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, would have been fun. Wild children. <laughs> Yeah. So how, how uh, do you spend your time these days? Well, I'm writing a, a memoir. Or a, actually, I'm writing a biography of mom, which is also, you know, a, it's it's kind of a mother-daughter memoir. Um, and so I've been doing that for a while. Um, but the other thing, I, I have this great project that I'm really passionate about. Um, one of the things I discovered in writing the book was that the folks who raised Secretariat uh, mostly African-American grooms who live in the Dawn area. And I knew some of them growing up. And, you know, there's some really talented horse people in that group. And it's mostly uh, uh, two families, the Tillmans and the Mines, and they're pretty well integrated. I mean, there are many intermarriages there. But so I discovered through my research that they are, in fact, the descendants of the people who were enslaved at the Meadow. Wow. When my great, 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 great aunt was uh, the mistress of the Meadow. So that, you know, I hadn't, when I grew up, I sort of thought, I knew my granddad was from Virginia, but I didn't understand all of what that meant. I didn't understand that my ancestors were actually enslaving other people. You know, it took a long time to learn that. But when I researched the book, I saw the slave schedules, you know, I saw, I saw people's names in wills. And so that became like, hmm, this is really intense. Um, and, and especially because I knew their descendants, you know, it wasn't abstract at all. Right. So one of the things we found out, I don't know, do you remember Tom Street? Mm. Anyway, he was an Ashlander. Um, yep. His family worked at the Meadow, his father and his uncle and his grandfather. And they knew where a slave cabin was. 
on former Meadow property. Yeah. So one time I was hanging out with Tom. He said, oh, do you know about the slave cabin? He showed it to me. Nobody knew there was a slave cabin on in that area. Mm. So it's, it's um, and so we started, you know, just thinking, well, we've got to do something to preserve this. This is an important part of history. And then I ended up meeting at a Morris family reunion some white cousins of mine who were also descendants of the family who owned the meadow. And they were also interested in the same topic. So we started meeting. And then I got contacted on Ancestry by a Mines guy who had former FBI, lives in Northern Virginia, who was from the African-American uh, Mines side. And he, he wanted to know more about his family. He came down. We met. I showed him around, showed him the slave. All of this has become a process of there's a group of us, black and white, who meet regularly, and in, at the end of June, we put on a black and white reunion, a gathering of the descendants of the meadow, both the enslavers and the enslaved. And so we had this fabulous barbecue. 180 people came. You know, we had uh, we hired a genealogist to do the genealogy of the uh, families of those who had been enslaved because it's so hard for African Americans to find their history. Yeah, they, a lot they, of it wasn't recorded. Wasn't recorded. You know, they didn't have last names. They were, it's like there's so many roadblocks. So anyway, she found that all this stuff took it back to the 1700s for most of these families. And so at the reunion, we had these big, long family trees for them. And, you know, said, here's your grandmother. Fill in what we don't know. And um, it was just so meaningful. And we got to show them the cabin. And I also know, Mom told me, and I have photographs, where the slave graveyard was mm. and that has been lost to time and it, the land has been resculpted through the widening of the road and also the state fair so it's hard to we know roughly where it is but we also want to do something there maybe have a plaque just to say these people we think these people were buried here because there are no stones you're not going to you know, fix up the cemetery or anything, but we want a mem something memorializing. So, but anyway, this group of us have continued meeting and working together and trying to figure out what next steps are. And it's just been so amazing to me to have the, the opportunity to talk about things like race and our history and conflicts with people who are you know, could by all rights be very kind of antagonistic to us, but they're not. They're totally welcoming. And it's like, yeah, we are now in this point where we need to heal the country and let's talk to each other. Talk and listen to talk each other. Talk and listen. And that's what we're doing and learn from each other and tell, you know, talk about what, what really happened and and what do we do about that? You know, how do we, how do we work together? So that's been... Uh, just emotionally, just fabulous. There's not a lot of uh, other examples of that going on that I'm aware of. I, I think from a, if you're an ancestor of yeah. slave owners, yeah. you're you're probably quite embarrassed yeah. with that linkage, and you're yeah. like, I'm, I I don't want to don't engage. even want to know, don't yeah. want to talk about it. Yeah. Well, yeah, and 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 the thing about it is, you didn't do it. Your ancestors did it, so you don't have to take on a lot of guilt, but you do have a responsibility. You know, I think to share in the that story and just discovery of that story, and you know, and there were some tears at that reunion. There were some, you know, one of our members, uh, one of the Morrises, is a poet, and she was so eloquent, and she had people in tears talking. You know, she was talking about how the process of her understanding what her family had participated in, and how she felt now, and how you know, um, but it, it, but it's not about just sort of like 
I don't know. It's a much more equal, uplifting, uh, kind of joyful thing than it might sound. You know, and it's, it's you know. Because you're all there trying to heal. We're all trying to heal. That's all it is. It's not about blame. It's not about accusation. It's not about guilt. It's about this happened. We were on both sides of it. What do we do now? Yeah. You know, we're, we're all in the same space. That's the amazing thing to people. They're still right there. And they are the ones who raised Secretariat. Yeah. So part of my interest also is in making sure the role of the African-Americans who raised this fabulous animal gets recognized. Yeah. Because they're part of the story, a big part of yeah, the story. Yeah, a huge part of it, yeah. Yeah. You don't have a, you know, a, a dog who's not well raised turns out anxious and, you know, difficult, right? Um a dog who's well raised is a joy and, and does all kind of great things. And it's the same with horses, you know. So if he didn't have, he didn't, if he wasn't treated really well and trained really well and, you know, given everything he needed, he wouldn't have been the great horse he was. Yeah. No, it, it's a uh, massive team, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, exactly. Part of that. So I just, uh, you know, it's, it's a joyful part of the story to me. It's a, um, you know, and I, I don't quite know, how, we don't quite know what we're doing with all this, but we're, it's baby steps. We're just, you're trying. We're moving forward. Yeah. yeah. You're absolutely trying. Yeah. 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 That's really cool. All right, yeah. Rob, you said you were going to talk, you've talked a little bit. Do you have any uh, questions in the chamber or am I putting you on the spot? No, you're not putting me on the spot. Um, I don't have any questions. I'm just, what I'm most thrilled about is being, you know, quote, we are acquainted with my cousin and. We've got all kinds of plans to compare, you know, family notes and yeah. just kind of come back and figure out the Chenry stuff. I was cleaning out the garage a month or two ago, and and my grandfather had the the family coat of arms, and I sent it to Kate, and yeah, we started talking about that and everything. So, so I'm just excited to get to know my cousin more and do some fun stuff with that. And and you're both history folks. Yeah, yes. both history yeah. buffs. So yeah, and and. Rob helped out when we had our April 1, we had the big uh, celebration when the statue first came to town yep. on its first go-round, and Rob was instrumental in volunteering, and it's just fun. We, you know, we're, yeah. we're, we're starting to, you know, share the excitement of this whole thing. I met, I met other cousins yeah. that day. Yeah, yeah. Kate knew and yeah. invited, but I, yeah. didn't, I didn't know I had them there over yeah. Near the Chesterfield. Yep. Um, Don Everhart. And yeah. Her, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, and there's others. Isn't too. that wild? It's, it's wild. Yeah. It's wild. I mean, yeah. You, know, you talk just about small worlds. Yes. Yeah. And I just, I mean, I yeah. just have a personal interest in, you know, tracing back my family on both sides. Yeah. It's just cool to go through my mom and actually, I don't think there's a lot left on my dad's side. So it's yeah. kind of neat. You know, yeah. To, I think Kate has a lot of answers for you, I imagine. <laughs> she is. Yeah. So, Are you, can, can we end with the question that we normally ask? This question is a little weird. It, it doesn't play well as a transition, but here, here goes. Imagine you're a talk show host for one uh, session, one episode, it, but it's your talk show. You get to figure out or determine who's going to be on your show. Uh, your guests can be alive or dead. They can be friends, family, famous, maybe not so famous, and you never knew them but they have a really intriguing story that you want to talk about. Um, one female, mm -hmm. one male. Musical act could be soloist or band. Uh, and then if you're into comedy, who would your comedian be? Oh, wow. Yeah. I hate these questions. <laughs> it's meant to be more revealing about who you are. Well, I mean, there's so many amazing historical figures that you would think you'd really love to talk to. And I, I couldn't begin to isolate one. 
But I so wish I could talk to my grandfather. Because, mm. you know, I was 16 when he died, and I really didn't. Now I know so much more. Oh, my gosh, the questions I could ask. That would be fabulous. Um, now, as far as a woman, I don't know. Uh, of course, is it because I'd want to talk to them, or they'd make a good talk show it's, guest? It's, it's whatever because, you're going for. <laughs> because yeah. some people would be really interesting, but you know they wouldn't be a great talk show guest. But um, I don't know. I I would love to speak with um, Jane Austen. Mm. She's my favorite author. I just think that would be really fun. She, who knows what she would say? <laughs> um, and a musical, uh, uh, I don't know. I love Joni Mitchell. Okay. I think she would. Just her voice is so gorgeous. So anyway. All right, there you go. <laughs> Great answer. Okay. Yeah, I, I should have. I should have mentioned. Yeah, it can be for you. It can yeah. be for your audience. Yeah, it can be sure. thought-provoking, fun, whatever sure. you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Uh, you want to talk about your family, your kids at all? Yeah, uh, they're both academics. Their um, grandfather on their father's side was a professor, and my uncle's a professor, so we have a lot of academics. So Elena teaches history, believe it or not, at Union College in Schenectady, and Alice is in information science at Bryn Mawr outside of Philly. Okay, cool. So, yeah, I'm very proud of them. They're great kids. And near train lines that connect to Ashland. Yeah, I know. It's so great. Way better than having to get on an airplane and you know, oh, all that stuff. Yeah, I'm yeah. totally with you. Yeah, I can drive there. I'll probably see Alice next week, so that'll be great. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Kate, I'm glad you live in Ashland. I'm glad you were willing to come over here. I'm glad you're related to Rob, and I really appreciate you doing this. You're fun and very informative. Thank you so much. Well, I, as you can tell, I, <clears throat> I like talking about this stuff. <laughs> Don't have to drag anything out of me. It's kind of fun. Right? Yeah, it's really fun. Yeah. It's a great story. I mean, gosh, I'm so lucky. What you know to be able to talk about this stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fun. So thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com.